Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. This program is produced weekly by the Christ Life Fellowship. Check us out, christ-life.org. We are in the foundation of the Christ Life message with Warren Litzman. It's been fascinating. I've gone back a few times myself to listen to these, and I learn something each time. Today, we're starting part one of the soul and spirit version of this great teaching. So let's get right into it. Here's Warren. We're really in an hour and in a day when when actually the gospel is not being preached. I've been doing some writing here lately, <clears throat> and the Spirit is, is, is really leading me to a rock and a hard place, where I never wanted to be so bold and curt as I am now. But the simple fact is the gospel is not being preached. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not being preached. And in our next class here, that's what I'm going to talk about, the gospel. What is the gospel? But the reason the gospel isn't being preached is that God is no longer leading people to the awfulness and the horribleness of having to walk by law instead of by spirit. And the sad thing is our generation doesn't know the difference because the gospel isn't preached. Our generation doesn't know the difference between law and Christ. And so it has come to me that it is uh, absolutely, in fact, very necessary that we get some very foundational things fixed in us because you have good teachers here and a good pastor here uh, that can care on other matters. Uh, I, I try to deal with some foundational stuff to help you put the stones in uh, to build on. And that's what I want to do tonight. I want to talk to you basically this evening about, if I were to give this a title, it would be titled The Salvation of the Soul about getting the soul saved. Now, obviously, when I made this statement to spirit-filled people, you probably thought, well, he sounded Baptist to me. <laughs> Sounds like we're going to have a good Baptist sermon. <laughs> well, maybe it is. If it is, it's a sermon we should have had in Pentecost a long time ago. <laughs> but it's a foundational subject. And the reason I call it the salvation of the soul is that what I'm talking about is something you are not calculating at all. And that's why I'm dealing with this subject. The salvation of the soul. The simple fact is we don't know what soul is anymore. So... We're going to belabor a couple of verses of Scripture tonight, and I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. I'd like you to bear in mind as we go into the fourth chapter of Hebrews that the book of Hebrews is a book that was written probably in 68 A.D., which is a year after the last writing of the Apostle Paul. I don't know that he had died. The supposition is that he could have been the author of Hebrews, uh, and it, it could not. But his last writing we have record of was in 67 
And I believe Hebrews is written in 68. So I don't know whether Paul died in 68 or 69, but it was right about that time. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, except Hebrews is an answer to many of the things that have been discussed in the epistles. Now, I don't know how strong I've made this statement to you here about how your Bible should be put together. Have we talked about that? The first books you should have in study are the epistles. And to make it very simple, to lay this foundation, the epistles are absolutely the first readings you should read about the things of the Lord. Now, ironically, very few people read the epistles. But if you're going to know what God's doing and you're going to understand your Bible, you have to start with the epistles because the epistles are the only writings that explain the four Gospels. Mm -hmm. The four Gospels are incomplete without the epistles because the four Gospels within themselves are not a complete truth. They're incomplete. Kingdom is set aside. Jews are set aside in God's program. A new race of people are created. So there is nothing complete in the four Gospels. And yet that's where you get most of your preaching. But you can't understand the Old Testament at all aside from the four Gospels. That's right. So to be uh, uh, truthful with you, and uh, I don't know that I would be bold enough to do it, but if I was going to publish a Bible, the first book I would put in the Bible is not Genesis, but Thessalonians, because that's the first book Paul wrote. I'd start with Thessalonians, and I'd go then to Romans, and then I'd go to Galatians, and then the prison epistles, because that's the order by which you'll understand what it is God is saying and doing. But the Gospels are no place to start, because the Jesus that was in the Gospels is not at all the same Christ that's in the epistles. Now, you understand that? That's a bold statement, so you have to hear me out on it. Jesus of Nazareth went back to heaven, and on the day of Pentecost, a whole new body was formed called Christ. So it isn't the same Jesus at all in the epistles. And you want to remember that the Apostle Paul, at no place in his writings, ever mentions Jesus of Nazareth. He never mentions that Christ again, except as he related to death, burial, and resurrection, our identification points. He never mentions anything about Jesus of Nazareth. Well, that's very important because that Jesus did not exist anymore after the day of Pentecost. He's with the Father in heaven, but on the day of Pentecost, every rebirth person had Christ's spirit and God's nature by Christ, the holy seed in each of them. Amen. So you see, it's a whole new understanding. So if you want to know what God's doing, you have to start with that understanding. Actually, you have to start with the birthing. If you don't start with the birthing in God's plan, you'll never know what God's doing. Because what he did in the Old Testament is not what he's doing at all. That's his groundwork for it. What he did through Jesus of Nazareth was once again groundwork preparatory for the restoration of the Jews. Jews rejected him. Jesus died for the whole world. And in the epistles, that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus picks up with what God's intention was before the foundation of the world. Amen. So if you're going to understand your Bible, you have to get it fixed right in your mind. Uh, 
I guess the thing I'm trying to say is that when most people get down to read their Bible, first, uh, a man this past week was in deep trouble, and he said, I've just been reading the Psalms and crying. Well, he's wasting a lot of time to me because he's not going to grow from that. Sure, he'll cry. Sure, he'll be blessed. There's a great emotion there. But there's not anything there for his spirit. And that's, that's, that's where his problem is. So that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, at the twelfth verse, we have a very important verse, one you know by heart. The verse says, For the Word of God. Now notice, he doesn't say the Scriptures. We make a distinction at the first line of this verse. We're not talking about the Scriptures. Now you know the difference between the two, don't you? Anybody can put a collection of Scriptures together and call it doctrine. But you cannot handle the Word and make doctrine out of it. Why? The Word's a person. The Word's a person. Scriptures are writings that anybody can translate and put together and call it doctrine. But you can't do that with the Word of God because the Word is a person. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we're not talking about Scripture here. We're talking about a person. So make sure you write that in this first line to understand what we're going to say in this verse. For the Word of God is quick. The Jesus, the Son of God, is quick and powerful and sharper when he's preached, more so than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder. The word asunder means explosion. He blew the thing up. A, a violent explosion. So when the word Jesus is preached, it's like a sword that's going to cause a great explosion. What is it going to explode? What's it, what is an explosion going to do? It's going to divide soul and spirit. Well, now, you've uh, been with me a long time, some of you more than anybody else, longer than anybody else in this place. And you know about our little circle drawing. Our circle drawing is, oh, praise the Lord. Always when I pick one of these up, I wonder what's going to happen. Man is a tripartite being. He's made of a body. He's made of a soul. He has a spirit. Now before I go any further, I want to clarify the word spirit for you. Only five times does the Bible ever mention such a thing as man having a spirit within himself. You hear a lot of poets and uh, religious people talking about the spirit of man. Man never had in the creation of God a separate spirit he was created body soul and spirit but when God created Adam his spirit was a void you know that from past teaching he had to believe something before he got a nature within him and when he believed what Satan said he had a sin nature in him so where is the spirit of man and why doesn't the scripture speak about man having a spirit uh, for instance, you'll hear a lot of people speak of union and say, well, a union is Christ's spirit joined to our spirit. Uh, it is that, all right. But it is really Christ joined 
to what is our self. What is the self of the human being? That's it, body and soul. That's your self. That's what Christ in us, our sin nature in us, expressed itself through, was our self. What is the spirit of man then? The spirit of man is the joining together of body and soul, and what it does is cast off what we call an aura. An aura. You know what an aura is? That's a... It's like an odor. An aura is a spirit that's cast off. While a skunk across the road, you get an odor. Uh, you you see an aura of light. For instance, if you're on a high a place coming down into a valley where a city is at night, you see the casting off of the light. That's an aura that is created. Or a very charismatic person has an aura about them. Uh, uh, whenever a big star walks out on a stage, people begin to swoon. That's because they sense an aura about them. Well, the human being has an aura about him, and that aura is the spirit of man. That's the spirit of man. And obviously, the spirit of Christ joined with the spirit of man is what it is that creates a believer whether of Satan or of Christ, it creates who and what is the believer. So if you ever wonder about where we get this, and why we don't talk more about the spirit of man, is because it's just a cast-off aura. It's not something God created in man. What he created was a, was a place here where a deity would operate. He fixed man so that man would either be operated by Satan or operated by Christ. There was no other operation. There is no human nature. It's either sin nature or God nature that's in man. So I, I wanted to uh, get by that real quick in case that was ever on anybody's mind because sometimes I move uh, swiftly and don't uh, cover every little base like I ought to. But going back to our tripartite being here in body and soul and spirit, which now in the believer is Christ. Any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Can I ask you one question at this yeah. point? Yeah. Uh, the sin nature, if uh, on that basis then you'd say that if the sin nature is cast out and the spirit of Christ comes in, then the sin nature is no more? Right. They don't, there's not a deal existence? No, sir. Can't be. Christ. Can't be. How did Adam get his nature? He got it by believing what Satan said. How do we get saved? We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we have at Calvary? We don't have a changed life. That's the era of Christianity. We keep preaching people are going to change. They're not changed. There's an exchange in natures. And that's why I say we haven't preached the gospel. We haven't preached that there's an exchange in nature. We keep preaching trying to get this, this expression changed. So we got it backwards. That's really why I'm dealing with these verses uh, here tonight. Now, we'll cover that in this tonight. I hope you, you see it, that I cover it well enough so you see it, the answer to your question. So what it really is, man is a tripartite being. But the writer of Hebrews comes up with something very important here. He says that the Word of God has a distinctive purpose. Now, the Word does a lot of things. But you've got to admit, there is no place where the word is mentioned where it is any more descriptive, powerfully descriptive, than in this 12th verse. Mm -hmm. 
I can't think of another place except maybe Jesus riding on his white horse with a word of God written across him as he slays the armies that are set against God. But there's nothing more devastating than this word operating in the believer. What is that word to do? That word is simply to divide soul and spirit. What is the preaching of the gospel to do? To divide soul and spirit. Well, that means a lot of things. That means, for instance, there's no such thing as preaching a gospel where there's a total man involved. Nobody really does that. There are some people that just preach all spirit, some people just preach all soul, and uh, many of us healers just preached all body. <laughs> There's no such thing as preaching the total man. So the Word of God, in its basic purpose, was to separate the soul and the spirit. Well, now there's a reason for this. And let's give it a little history for a moment. In the Old Testament, we have, a, we have a great problem of translation. Now, you must understand something about our Bible translators, particularly the King James. Uh, I'm still of the opinion that no translation beats the original King James uh, for spirit teaching. And the reason I believe this is that none of them had a doctrinal purpose in mind. Most all translations we've had to the King James have had a doctrinal purpose in mind until the last uh, living Bible cut out every in Christ statement, I think, but one or two. Over 200 of them had cut out all but one or two. So they had a doctrinal purpose in what they were doing, as most translations do. And I'm not swearing by the King James. It's not perfect. But for spirit-led people, it's pretty good because the writers and the translators or the translators of the King James uh, were the king's pick. Now, they were scholars and so forth who had no particular bend doctrinally as we have it today. So we're able to see a lot more, I think, by that. Anyhow, they didn't see what it is the Spirit is showing us today. Now, you don't want to be upset with this, but there's a whole lot of things we believe today that our Bible does not manifest in the same degree that we have received it. For instance, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. None of the translators of the Bible, the King James Version, had any idea there would be a world full of tongue-talking people. See, They didn't translate the Bible with that in mind. They didn't translate the Bible either that there would be independent churches. They believed that it would all continue in Catholicism. That's right. See? So they didn't have a hold on what it is God is doing today. So I say that because I come along and begin to talk about something that God is doing today that most people who have accepted these other things are not so quick to accept what's happening now. But always be open because God continues to move. Through that same scripture, God continues to move. In the Old Testament, when it was translated, you'll find a strange thing happen. They never made a difference between soul and spirit. Uh, 
over 400 times, if I remember correctly, in the Old Testament, the term soul and spirit is used synonymously. Uh, one verse of Scripture, they'll say, to the saving of the soul, and the next, to the saving of the spirit. So that they made no difference between the two. That's why in the New Testament, I think 10 or 12 times is all this word soul is mentioned in the epistles. The reason for that is very simple. There was a great difference when men were rebirthed as to soul and spirit. On the day of Pentecost, there was a difference. Now, let's see if we can show this difference. Before the day of Pentecost, the way a believer was saved, his body and he had a soul, and he had a spirit. The way he was saved was by joining these two together. If in his soul, what is a soul? Mind, will, and emotion. If any one of these three parts, he pleased God, he saved himself. If in his mind, in his, in his soulish part, by mind, will, and emotions, he did God's will, he saved his spirit. For instance, what does Scripture say about Abraham? It says, Abraham believed God. And it was what? Counted. Counted. He believed. Where did he believe? In his soul. Mind. What, what happened when he believed? It was counted to him as righteousness. We still preach that commingled gospel today, don't we? When it never happens to a single soul today. There's not one blessed soul that by anything they believe does God count it to them as righteousness. See? See, aren't you glad for that? Because no way you can be Abraham. <laughs> so there is nothing you do that makes you who you are today. So in the Old Testament, you can see there was a confusion between soul and spirit because to get one saved, you got the other saved. <clears throat> But now, on the day of Pentecost, something radical happened. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 says, For by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, are we all baptized into one body, Christ. We're placed into Christ. You in Christ, Christ in you. Well, that's different. 1 Corinthians 1 and 30 says, when that happens... Christ is made unto you righteousness. So your soul didn't have anything to do with it other than acting on the Holy Spirit believed. Just believed. Believed what? Believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and instantly you had instant righteousness. Christ made unto you Righteousness. Yes. Well, you know what an ordeal Abraham went through to become righteous? It took 50 years in the era of Chaldees to Mount Moriah 
and the near killing of Isaac for him to ever become a broken man to believe God. And you know, some of us walk that same way. And all the time we were perfectly righteous to God, but we're reading Abraham instead of Christ. We're reading what Abraham did instead of Christ in us. And that's why I say the gospel is not being preached. So the writer of Hebrews comes and he says that there must be a division between soul and spirit. Why must there be such a division? Because spirit is where the birthing takes place. What is soul and body then? Myself. What is that? That's the created part of me. Now, we need to see this distinction. The part of me that is created is never saved finally until the resurrection morning. The created part of you will never be fully saved till the resurrection morning. Paul puts it like this, we're saved by hope. We're saved by faith. Why? We're awaiting the resurrection morning where this body will be saved. So, the created part of us is being saved. But what happens at a birthing? That's instantaneous. That's life. Where is the life? The life is not in the soul. The life is not in the body now. Where is the life? The life is in this person here. 1 John 5, the life is in the Son. What happened by the birthing? A Son was placed in you. That stands perfect before God. But what is the soul in? The soul is the part of you that is being gripped by what has happened to you in spirit. This is why the writer of Hebrews said the two must be separated. You need to divide them. The Word of God divides them. So to better see this and understand it, we need to go to another verse of Scripture right off here. And that's in uh, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. beginning at verse 9, and it isn't nine, the ninth verse that I really want, but it has the, the pronoun in it that I need for verse 10. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, but we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. God is the who in verse 10. This is the verse we want. God delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust, he will yet deliver us. Well now, what did that say? That gave us three tenses of deliverance. What were the three tenses for? They're for the tripartite man. So, let's take a good close look at them here again. What did that say? That said that there was a part of us that has been delivered from death. Where is the first deliverance? In spirit. 
Now, what is the first deliverance? The first deliverance is of the sin nature. And we would have done a lot better if we hadn't called it sin nature, that we had preached the same gospel Jesus of Nazareth preached at this point. In John 8, he said to the Jews, your father is the devil. And he said, the point is, you're not wanting to murder me as Jews. You're wanting to murder me because your father's nature is in you and he is the murderer, not you. That's kind of far out, isn't it? That's the gospel we didn't get. That's the gospel that's keeping us out of the Christ life today because we didn't start right. We're not ending up right in our understanding of what is the gospel. So Jesus said that it is the devil who is your father. Now, how did that take place? God said to Adam, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you'll what? You'll die. You'll die. Well, he didn't have the Spirit of God in him. He had access, soulishly, Adam did, to the Word. But when he believed what Satan said, he died. So what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 1 and 10? The first deliverance is that you have been delivered from that death. What was that death? That death was the sin nature, the Satan nature, not human nature. There is no human nature. Remember that. That was the Satan nature. The Bible never speaks of human nature. A human being has never been held accountable and never can be held accountable for a nature. From the beginning, sin passed upon one man, and by that one man's disobedience, so sin and death came upon all men. So there never has been a human nature. There was a sin nature, better to be called a Satan nature. And you remember also, John got a hold of this in uh, 1 John 3. He says that it was Satan who was the sinner from the beginning. See? Well, that's kind of different, isn't it? We didn't get that gospel. We were all made condemned ourselves. That's the way we kept our church doors open and our programs going was because we made you feel like you was a dirty sinner and you needed to come to church, stop being a sinner, give you money, uh, mow the lawn, do everything you can to keep from being a sinner. We didn't tell you the truth. The truth is there was a sinner that had operated in you when you, when you were uh, in, uh, unbirthed. But now that you've been born again, you have a whole different nature in you, but we're still preaching the old nature. Still preaching that you got it. Well, of course you're going you're gonna to have problems as long as we preach it. You're going to backslide as long as we preach it. Because you don't know who you are. Don't know who you are. Well, the first deliverance then was deliverance from death. That's already taken place. But there is a second deliverance. The second deliverance was who doth, present tense, who doth deliver. Where is the second deliverance? It's in your soul. It's in your mind, will, and emotions. Where is God working in your life? He's working in your soul. Scripture says to walk daily live according to the things you know where are you doing that in your soul 
Why? That's the only place you got a mind. Remember, the Christ in you has no mind but yours. If you don't have the mind of Christ, he's a mindless Christ. There. Birthed there. Put there by God, but he's mindless. So you're not going to walk in the Spirit. You're not going to express him. You're not going to be a Christian or a Christ person. We're going to stop right here. We'll pick up next time where we left off in these foundational studies of the In Christ message. Today has been part one of Soul and Spirit. What amazing, amazing teachings these are. And we're so fortunate to have these in our archives from Warren Litzman. Be sure and check out our website, christ-life.org. Go in there, read all about us, and read how you can start your own in-home church using our materials absolutely free. We'd like to thank Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to present these wonderful messages and teaching sessions to you. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock, she does our weekly podcast notes. And Teresa Ferraro produces this podcast each week for the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.